This is Jody Krangle, and I'd like to introduce my friend Hal in Philly, and your host of Tales of the Road Warriors. Well, thank you, Jody. That intro was recorded by today's guest, voice actor Jody Krangle. Jody is a different kind of road warrior, and I know her from traveling an entirely different kind of road the information superhighway, cyberspace, the internet. Jody Krangle, like me, was an early adapter and, like me, created and published one of the earlier online resources for songwriters. While I was performing open mics and showcases in Los Angeles and working on my website, Little Hank's Guide for Songwriters, Jody was performing at open mics and showcases in Canada while building and maintaining her website, The Muses Muse. It featured advice, educational articles, and tips for songwriters, and a very popular discussion board. And as she told me during our conversation, that message board still exists today. She also published a newsletter for 18 straight years and finally hung that up in 2016 to pursue her current career in voiceovers and vocals. In fact, if you go to voiceoversandvocals.com, you'll find samples of her work. In 2015, she released an album of mostly original songs called Time Will Tell, which we also talked about in this episode. By the way, you can also get to Jody's website by using the alternate URL, jodykrangle.com. Oh, and before I forget, Jody also has a podcast called Jody Krangle's Silver Linings. Each episode very short, easily digestible chunks, so... Take a listen to a few episodes of, of uh, Silver Linings, and don't forget to subscribe. Once more, here's Jody. This is Jody Krangle, and I'd like to introduce my friend Hal in Philly, and your host of Tales of the Road Warriors! We're talking with Jody Krangle. Jody is one of the pioneers of music internet websites along with me and i i didn't start thinking about that till recently we are pioneers i guess so god i feel old (laughs) (laughs) well pioneer woman jody krangle here to discuss the ancient days of internet when it was young anyway what got you started with the muses muse the internet was a really really new place And I was inspired by a friend of mine who was a music partner and still kind of is, although we haven't done stuff very regularly (laughs) recently. Um, Her name is Debbie Ridpath-Owey, and uh, she is a children's illustrator and writer. And back in the early days of the Internet, she started a Internet um, website right at the beginning of everything for writers, specifically for uh, young writers like writers who write for younger audiences, put it that way. And uh, she had a tremendous amount of, of success with it in the very beginning. And I started probably like a year after she did. And I just decided, well, okay, I'd like to put something on the internet, but I don't know, like, what what am I passionate about? And I was passionate about songwriting. So <laughs> so I decided to, before the days of message boards, right. <laughs> lo, before the days of creation... <laughs> Um, uh, I actually decided to ask people who found the page, and really all it was was a page at the time. It was a songwriting survey. Right. So I would ask questions, 
and I would put up the question at the top of the HTML page and I'd ask people, you know, what their opinions were and then I'd post their opinions on this page so that everybody could visit this website and see what other people's opinions were on these tantalizing questions of songwriting. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember kinda, that. Yeah, it, it kind of grew from there. <laughs> you know, it was with me it was similar. I, I had just moved to Hollywood and I found this National Academy of Songwriters in this building mm-hmm. on Hollywood Boulevard. And I went up and uh, I was just kind of asking about the organization, you know, thinking about, like, I'll join this. And I noticed these, like, books over in the corner. And I said, you know, they were for sale. And there was this little blue book, like a pamphlet of open mm-hmm. mics in Los Angeles. And I almost yeah. bought it, but I didn't. So the next time I went there, I thought, I'm going to buy that, that book because I wanted to check out some open mics. And it was gone. And so oh. uh, I forget who it was. I think uh, it was Steve Shalkland. And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the guy stopped doing it because it was too hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, because he could only re, re, you know, republish it once a year. <laughs> yeah. So then the, the internet, internet made that a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. So the internet happened. And mm-hmm. I was sitting in a bar one day. And this guy with an English accent, I can't do an English accent. His name was Anthony. He goes, <laughs> you got to learn HTML, mate. I said, what? HTML, uh-huh. mate. You got to learn HTML. So he showed me on a bar napkin like, what it was. I, I still didn't know what to do with it. But, uh-huh. I, you know, but I took it home and I figured it out. And I, they had like the Netscape web browser. browser you know. so, I, mm-hmm. I, so I taught myself HTML with this website. I came up with the idea, Little Hank's Guide for Songwriters. From a character in my song, I Met Santa on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll teach myself HTML by doing this guide because I, I figured I'm going to go out and find all these open mics and I'm going to take up where that guy left off. Mm-hmm. Like mine grew from there. What, what happened with yours? You, you kind of went into like message boards and. Well, it turned into a community is what happened. Um, And message boards were kind of what you needed at the time in order to nurture a community. So I went into um, a bunch of different types, but I think I settled on Envision Powerboard. And I was with them for years and years and years. And in fact, that message board, it hasn't continued on my site, but it actually, because the people were so passionate about it, the ones who participated in it, they actually, when I closed down the site, took the message board and put it somewhere else. And they're still doing it to this day. Oh, that's very cool. It is. So you, I mean, I think it's awesome. You left a legacy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but it became a lot more than just the message board. It became um, a monthly newsletter that I didn't miss for like 18 years, not one month. Um um, were you like the girl you always see in Starbucks sitting in a corner with a laptop, like just doing, like, because I, I, I noticed that you never missed a newsletter. Like, <laughs> I wanted to do that. I had that, a lot but, of help. Yeah, I hope so. I did have help. Um, but I had help with people sending in articles and uh, critiques and things like that. Um, so I didn't have to write anything more than really the intro. You know, the intro and the extra was pretty much mine, you know, and I would update the songwriting contests and stuff like that. But beyond that, it was all, you know, uh, helpful added content from a bunch of people who donated their time. So um, a lot of the site as it stands as of now, because it's really just a static site with a bunch of articles and columns on it. Uh, was contributed by a bunch of very generous people who 
liked to participate and wanted to help other songwriters. It was great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I found that too. But with my message board, I didn't use the people you use. I, I used like a PHP message board and it kept getting mm-hmm. hacked. That's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I stopped doing Little Hank's Guide for Songwriters. I'm like, I can't take this anymore because I was depending on that message board for people to keep me updated like the, the way they did with you. Mm-hmm. But I, I would go to the message board every now and then it would would be completely gone. And I was so frustrated with that, constantly getting hacked. Because here I am putting out free everything, trying Mm -hmm. to help my fellow man. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. That's the thanks. Judge Judy always says, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, any message for it is a study in frustration, really. I mean, <laughs> because as much as you love the community, there are people who come in and troll it. It's like Facebook. I mean, it's yep. like any social media, right? People come in, they throw their things around, pee on your floor, and then expect to be treated with courtesy, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I, I basically would, um, uh, and I put in quotation marks, hire because I never paid any money, but I right. gave them extra status and stuff like that on the message board. Um, someone who came in and actually had ideas was critical and could be a bit of an ass sometimes, but generally their heart was in the right place. Um, there were people you could not promote to that kind of a position and expect them to do any good. But most of the time, the people who caused the most trouble became the best moderators. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because they knew what to yeah, look for. They knew exactly what to look <laughs> for. Exactly. So the community became a lot stronger because of that. And Envision Power Board was really, really good about keeping um, things from being hacked. It was a pretty involved program. So uh, it wasn't as quite as um, vulnerable to attack as a lot of other places. But, of course, you always got your trolls. (laughs) And to this day, we still do. Oh, yeah. Now they're on Twitter. They they migrated over to Twitter and Facebook. And we don't even know if they're real or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the bots. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the landscape has changed and stayed the same in a lot of ways. (laughs) It, it started out as the wild, wild west, and now it's just the wild west, but it's still mm-hmm. wild. So yeah, did definitely. you ever meet any of the other people like Jeff Mallet or Seth Jackson or uh, Jeannie uh, Novak from Kaleida Space? Or? I don't know that I did. I didn't tend to go to a lot of conferences that were songwriting related, right. so oh. I never went to like the Taxi Road Rally or anything like that. Oh, right. um, Plus you're I, in Canada. Yeah, and I'm in Canada, so it made it a little more dif- difficult. Um, Brian Austin Whitley and I, uh, Brian Austin Just Whitley. Just plain folk, Brian. Yes, yeah. Um, Brian came to visit uh, a few times, actually. So I saw him when he was here. Oh, nice. And we had open mics here, which was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and other than that, pretty much I just kept the site open until, I think it was open until 2016. And yeah. then in 2015, you released an album which i was listening to earlier which is so <laughs> yeah. good i thank I, I'm you thinking i'm afraid i'm afraid i hope i like this and when i heard neil young's <laughs> harvest with that bossa nova like i'm like thank you that has a lot to do with the fellow i collaborated on that with um his name is chris conway and he's a fantastic musician in the uk and we've known each other since our 
I guess I I worked for a, a company um, as a marketing director, and one of the clients was in the U.S. or was in the U.K. So I used to have to travel there on a fairly regular basis, and he knew about the Muses Muse. So originally we met on the Muses Muse, and then we met in person when I was visiting the U.K. And then I got him into my science fiction fantasy music stuff that I was doing. <laughs> um, and so he's been involved in that for years now. Uh, but yeah, I think we first met in 1999. So we have been wanting to do an album together for a long, long time. And Chris's sense of musicianship and creating different feels for songs that you might already recognize is sure. just second to none. Well, like he's see, incredible. Yeah. I could hear like a sort of a count Basie influence there and uh, mm-hmm. great job. Kudos, kudos to Chris. Mm-hmm. He did and a then, great job. And now, now sex and chocolate. Is that an original song? <laughs> Yes, it is. And in fact, I wrote that with my uh, fellow musician, Debbie, actually. Oh, okay. What's her name again? <laughs> Debbie Ridpath Oe, And she's actually a very well-known children's illustrator right now. She does a bunch of books with Michael Ian Black. Oh, so I love I him. Think her, yeah, he's yeah cool. so I think uh, the latest book From that they've Northern done together... From Northern Exposure, I think, was the first time I... <laughs> he's been in a lot of things, but he's well, a, since, yeah. a pretty, uh, yeah, he's he's really funny. And he's written some books for kids. I think the first one was um, I'm Bored, and the next one was I'm Worried, uh, and I think there's another one called I'm Sad, and I think they're just now doing I'm Happy. <laughs> it took them a while they're, to get they're happy. Adorable. <laughs> they're adorable. They really are. And and her illustrations are just outstanding. It's just, it, it's fun. So well, it sounds like fun, but the reason I asked <laughs> you about sex and chocolate, the the song "Sex and Chocolate" is because I was listening to the lyrics and I, I wanted to know the backstory. What's the story with Moira? <laughs> uh, actually, I didn't write the music, or sorry, I didn't write the lyrics. I wrote the music. So okay, because I was the one who was gonna, I was the one who was gonna sing it. So <laughs> gotcha. Any idea though what the story with Moira was? Did you happen to ask? You know, um, I actually have an Aunt Myra, a great Aunt Myra, um, oh. and it might have been that this impressed itself into Debbie's brain somewhere. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but she, part of what makes her cartoons so funny is the really wonky sense of humor that she has. And so when she wrote the lyrics to this, it was just par for Debbie. <laughs> but you suspect she ba- actually based this on your Aunt Myra? Myra? I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it just seemed funny at the time. And I think it was just a congruency of events. I don't necessarily think that she heard me talk about my, my great aunt Myra. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she has one too then. It's quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> now you also were involved with Silk and a lot of people probably have no idea what Silk is. F-I-L-K. So... Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Uh, well, I guess you could define it as the music that happens at science fiction fantasy conventions. So I think it started back in the 70s. And from what I understand, it was actually a misprint in like the the transfers, like well, like the stencils that they used to do for printing right. <laughs> of folk to yeah. filk. <laughs> It ended up just being its own thing. So at various science fiction fantasy conventions, there might be a room that's set aside for people to just kind of almost be in like a a, a fireside circle doing music 
with each other. Um, and it turns out that a lot of the music that was being written at these particular gatherings were parodies of songs that had science fiction fantasy themes or media themes or um, people were doing original music. They so do like, instrumentals. Would, would like the song Yoda mm -hmm. that Dr. Demento used to play be considered folk? Like, yo, yo, totally. yo, Yoda. <laughs> totally. Yes. Okay. And in fact, I've been on Dr. Demento a few times. Sex and Chocolate has been on Dr. Demento several times. <laughs> oh, uh, so we have that in common because he used to play I Met Santa on the Internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That does not surprise me. But yeah, um, Phil kind of. I guess it kind of graduated from back rooms and science fiction fantasy conventions to its own conventions. So there are probably like six main ones that happen all over the U.S. and one in Canada and a couple in the U.K. and one in Germany. So they're really all over the place. And I got involved in that in 1994 with Debbie Ridpath Oe, who I mentioned already, and another friend. Her name is Alison Durno. And she is a Catholic school teacher from here in Ontario. And uh, uh, she does a lot of our frontman stuff. So she's the, the person who introduces the songs. And um, she and I met early, early um, through gaming, as a matter of fact, because I met the guy who introduced us through gaming. And, and then he went away. And <laughs> Were you like a goth you know. teenager into Dungeons and Dragons and all that? <laughs> <laughs> I was not goth. No, I was e extremely nerdy. <laughs> yeah, because you know you look like anything but goth. But then you know, I thought, well, maybe you went to a phase when you were thirteen or fourteen. You never know. No, no, I never had black hair or black nail polish or you know wore <laughs> okay. weird necklaces or anything like that. No, nope. Just I was just weirdly nerdy. <laughs> so, do you still have the folk trio? Do you still do that? Uh, we are still very much friends and we still get together on occasion we have not done uh, music together in quite some time um, mostly because there's really only one music convention that happens here in Toronto and that's usually around uh, late April and uh, so we saw each other in April and uh, had a great time uh, although I think Debbie was not able to make it this year uh, next year though we'll be back together making music again we just have fun with it it's you know well yeah i think the fun is built into the name yeah it kind of <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of folk music yes so, yeah. so uh, what was it? oh no, no i was just gonna say you have yours in april we have the philadelphia folk festival here mm -hmm. in pennsylvania in schwanksville which is mm -hmm. a big deal but uh, that's a mixture of folk and real folk like everything yes. So any so now you're doing you're you got into voiceoversandvocals.com you're mm -hmm. a, you're a voiceover artist so how did that transpire Well I I started doing that full time in 2007 and before that I was doing internet marketing and SEO because I was promoting the Muse's Muse that's how I learned <laughs> cuz you know promoting something on a shoestring budget <laughs> for years and years you learn a thing or two. So I was offering that expertise to paying clients for a, a while. And then I just kind of when Google was the only game in town, I got bored. <laughs> I just, you know, have you ever had that moment where you're just, you have to stop something now because you cannot do it any longer? <laughs> Me? Oh, oh, no, I never gave up on anything suddenly <laughs> much. 
<laughs> and I, I've jumped around from thing to thing, and like, yes, very suddenly, I just go, stop, no more. Well, it's it's less a sudden decision and more of a slow burn to the inevitable outcome. Put it that way. <laughs> it it ends up you. There is a day when there's a cutoff when you just can't do it anymore, but. It builds before that. Yeah, up until that point, it stopped being fun, but you're yeah. still doing it. And then finally, yeah. you just go, okay, that was yeah, that's a, that was yeah. It. So, so that's kind of what happened to me. I just, I was done with SEO, and I was, I had had some experience with um, a training course earlier that kind of was almost a scam, but. <laughs> um, I did learn a thing or two from being on the internet, and I so did some research. So you enrolled in Trump University? Oh, no. <laughs> Good Lord, no. <laughs> there are all sorts of uh, – you have to be very careful when you decide to follow a creative career, and I'm sure as a fellow creative, you understand this. There are lots of people out there who want to take your money to sell you the dream, but they yeah. don't actually help you do it. <laughs> So I kind of fell into one of those and almost paid a lot of money and decided not to. Yeah, because um, so your kind dream of, is their livelihood. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. So I, I didn't fall for it, although, you know, not not for their lack of trying. <laughs> right. Um, and I had volunteered my time at the CNIB, which is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, for around a year reading books onto tape and it really was tape back then i mean it was real to real so <laughs> and and i actually really enjoyed the tech of it i thought that was a lot of fun so uh yeah my mother told me about those days yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> 95 96 that was around then so i i sort of knew what it was um but it was in the process of changing a lot because prior to about 2005 i think voiceover on the internet wasn't really a thing. I mean, it could have been a thing. I know there were people who were making a living and a very nice living doing voiceovers through the internet, you know, writing to clients remotely. Um, and the internet was a big thing. And of course it was a big thing. It was certainly my livelihood since about 1994. So yeah, but Prior to that, a lot of people would actually still go into studios. They'd have to build their network in their own city. or, And, you know, if you were living in a flyover state or if you were in the middle of nowhere in, like, you know, Alberta or something, or, you know, you just really didn't have a chance because there was no industry around you. And in 2005, I think around then, it started to explode. And it started to open up to people who didn't necessarily already have the infrastructure because of the internet. Yeah, no, I, I recall that. And I also noticed when that happened that a lot of voiceover artists began glutting the market with their schools and lessons. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And t so many people thought that, that they could do, you know, voiceovers was like an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I know for a fact it's not easy. Oh, totally not. No, it, it probably took me two and a half years to be to be making the the living that I had been making in SEO. And I mean, 
you know, that it just takes time. It's different for everybody. And certainly nowadays, it's a lot easier to fast track because all the information is out there already. In 2007, when I started doing this full time, it was still fairly new on the internet. I mean, it was starting to boom. um, But it wasn't quite as booming as it is now. (laughs) And message boards still existed. I actually got some of my early information from a message board that was put together by a talent who'd been in the business for quite some time. Her name was Julia Williams. She's still around, obviously, still doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a great business. I really do love it. And I still have a passion for it, you know, 13 years later. So... Are you are you doing um, animated uh, like like full length things too, or or, or mostly? Um... I don't dabble in the animation or video games or audiobooks, and I tend to avoid audiobooks and e learning mostly because they're long form narration. Right. Um, and I just don't like the long form. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but the most important reason to me is that the smaller projects mean that I can get to my clients quicker. So I don't want to be delaying someone's production because I have a really long e-learning project that I need to get in for you know two days from now. I want to be able to service my clients when they need me, and production is fast. It happens really quick. Right. So. I am their solution when they need something rush, and I prefer to be that. That's my pride. Like, I, I, I love doing that. I make their jobs easier. That's what I'm here for. That's why you're in demand. You, you, but I mean, because <laughs> you, know, you know your niche. <laughs> yeah, I stick with the five minutes or less. Five minutes of audio or less is where I find my niche. So now you're doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's brand that's new. That's kind of how I met you. I met you online in, in one of the podcast groups. Yeah, in the PM PM nineteen. Did you go to? Did yeah. you? Go, you didn't go to that one. No, I didn't. I didn't. I went to uh, MapCon in Atlantic City. I'm not familiar with MapCon, and that's close to where I live too. Yeah, um, so we probably drove by you <laughs> on our way there. <laughs> Maybe you know the ironically the very the the year before uh, in twenty twenty eighteen podcast movement was in my hometown of Philadelphia, but I hadn't started nice. podcasting yet. So what is it? A day late and a dollar short. Mm-hmm. I was like a year late and. short. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know a lot of my colleagues who actually did go to podcast movement this year. And I think next year it's in Dallas, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm considering. Yeah. I'm still thinking about it. I haven't decided myself whether I'm going yet. But I did meet everybody I wanted to meet. I met Dave Jackson and and, uh, Mm -hmm. Steve Stewart. Great guys. Oh, they're all great guys. Mm -hmm. I went early on the first day and caught them alone. Great. So, so like I got to spend some quality time, probably, probably annoying the hell out of them. <laughs> well, all <laughs> the best conversations at conferences happen in the hallways. Yeah, they really do. Like that's the in between time when you really get to know people. Exactly, and I, well, I had paid. They have like a, two prices, and one of the pricing tiers was like uh, for like another fifty bucks or whatever it was, so you could get the entire all the conferences and workshops and classes. On on um, online, mm-hmm. like the virtual the, ticket, yeah, yeah the virtual so ticket. great. So I got yeah. the virtual ticket, mm-hmm. which meant I didn't 
feel stressed if I missed one or got there mm-hmm. late. I thought, well, you know what? I'm already. I'm just not. I'll I'll watch it later. Yeah. And then I would just perfect. go around and try out different gear and microphones and the roadcaster. And mm-hmm. you know. yeah. What was your feelings about that whole event? Um, I didn't actually go to uh, Podcast Movement 19 nope. this year. The Atlantic I, City one, though. Yeah, the Atlantic City one was very small. <laughs> I think there were maybe, I don't know, 65 people there. I did like it a lot. I met some people that I had only spoken with on Facebook, and so it's nice to meet them online and, or meet them in person. And that's always very fulfilling to me. You I, know, there's a lot to be said for it being small, too, because Podcast Movement was 3,000 people Oh, all yeah, trying I did to be, that, you know, yeah. me, me, me. And when you got 65 people, there's a little quality there. Well, you get to actually meet people, which right. was nice. Make an actual connection, you know? Exactly. And all the connections I feel I made were like in those like private moments away mm-hmm. from the crowd. At one point, the, the alarm went off. Everybody had to evacuate the building. And so I met wow. some people outside there while we were waiting to go back in. That that was good. And then <laughs> then at lunch, I just sitting at the bar waiting at the little Mexican restaurant inside. Mm-hmm. And yep. a woman sat next to me, and we started talking. And she's from Georgia, and she mm-hmm. has a really cool podcast. So so yeah, it's like um, it's interesting. I'm I'm finding the podcast thing to be fascinating and very fulfilling. But my I, I guess the reason that I created the podcast was more to inspire fellow creatives. So it's kind of a broad category. <laughs> yeah, well, I like the fact yours are short, and, mm-hmm. and each one's got, got a particular message. Like, mm-hmm. what would you do if you had a million dollars? And uh... <laughs> Yeah, I like to highlight other people's stuff, because a lot of people out there are doing some really great things and I'd love for people to learn more about them. So the whole, um, choose FI network, um, again, they have their own podcast and it's doing really, really well, but that's what the question of what would you do with a million million dollars? That's where that came from and all sorts of other things. I think I did one on photography and, and a fellow who is finding old rolls of film and restoring them and, it kind of led me to the philosophical question of, are we spending too much time taking photos on our phone and not enough time actually experiencing the moment we're in because these photos are so throwaway? They don't mean anything anymore, right? So when it used to have to cost you a lot of money to process a roll of film, or you only had like nine photos for the year, you made those count. They meant something. And I don't think they do anymore. No. And plus, you know, to this day, I, I, I would be willing to bet the professional photographers that used to develop tons and tons of, of film mm-hmm. by hand, you know, they, they can't be happy about how much that's all taken for granted now. How, you know, you can just snap away and, oh, I don't like that one. I'll delete it you mm-hmm. know, or crop them on the spot. I think there will always be art. I I, I like to think, maybe I'm being naive, but I like to think that there will always be art of some kind. And photography definitely has a place in that. So if you're talking about the everyday photo mats, yeah, maybe those are going away. But if you're talking about wedding photography or you're talking about... um, 
taking photos of events or even taking photos to display them in an art gallery, those are still around. And I think they'll be around for a long time, no matter what the technology is. I, I still think if you're really an appreciator of good photographer, uh, mm-hmm. good photography, you, you will recognize the, the Annie Leibowitzes and the Henry Diltzes mm-hmm. of the world, you know, and Paul Zollo yeah. is, um, I think, starting to come into his own, too. Do you know Paul mm-hmm. Zollo? I, I don't know. Okay. Well, he wrote a book called Songwriters on Songwriting. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. I do. Yeah, and yeah. Paul's been I, taking a lot of pictures forever lately. He, and he goes uh-huh. all around Hollywood taking pictures of, of like homeless people. Okay, or, yeah. Or the just uh, people you meet every day that you see on Hollywood Boulevard. or Yeah. Um, His book was definitely one of the ones I featured on The Muse's Muse. I had a, a book section as well. And in well, fact, I think I interviewed him. I, might I wouldn't have. be surprised. And uh, yeah. and John Brahaney was another one. May <laughs> yes. he rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm still in touch with Joanne. You, as far as I know, she's doing really well. Yeah. 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 The industry's still uh, been kept alive by certain people. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's I, changed. Yeah. Well, but, I, yeah. I, it's ever changing. But thank goodness Absolutely. there are those people that, that continue to pick up the torch and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm just looking at my notes because I think we covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. But is there anything that you want to, um, some some kind of project that you've got coming up or that you're working on that you want to share so to make sure I put the word out for you? <laughs> well, uh, I just am doing the voiceover thing right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm loving that. And I have been loving it for a long time. And, and uh, what yeah. kind of clients are you looking for? Because if anybody, by the way, I don't, I don't know if you noticed this, <laughs> listeners, but Jody Krangle has a great voice. I, I might even have ask her if, she, if she'll say, like, uh, you're listening to uh, Tales of the Road Warriors. <laughs> ah, you want an intro-outro? Sure. <laughs> we'll talk. Um, but, yeah, most of my clients are um, people who uh, have a business and want to promote that business online or on their website or, yeah, just any number of ways. So, you know, I do commercials. I do uh, corporate narrations. Um, I've done things for BBVA and for, you know, banks over here, too, and Bose and Dell and, you know, those kinds of clients. So voiceoversandvocals.com. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, or jodykrangle.com will get to me, too. So. <laughs> oh, okay. that's funny. Jodykrangle.com? Yeah. yeah. That's funny because I actually made the Tales of the Road Warriors accessible by typing in halinphilly.com. Well, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Because people should be able to get there in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, exactly. And, and it helps with the branding. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I do um, uh, podcast intros and outros. And uh, and I find it a lot of fun. It's, uh, I mean, voiceover in general is a whole lot of fun for me. So, Well, you have a great voice. And I'm glad you're doing <laughs> something with it that, that utilizes that particular talent. Yeah, I, I guess we all have to find our place, right? It took me a while, but... <laughs> Jody, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, do this with me. And This is um, a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, if you ever uh, you know, want to be on your podcast, just let me know. I don't, I don't know <laughs> I if totally I fit will. in here. <laughs> demographic. I'll have to do some research. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you did mine. So. Um, mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate a- you having me on. And it was great to catch up. 
Well, I'll see you on I'll see you on Facebook. Have a great week and thank you. Take care. And that was Jody Krangle. This is Hal in Philly, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Be sure to go to the show notes page at talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash Jody dash Krangle. And we'll have links to all the things we talked about on this episode. That's about it. I'm going for a drive. Yeah.